morning. So am I. Um, our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 22. Um, as we say every week, um, God's word, the Bible, is a gift to us, the church. Um, and it's through these scriptures that we are told of God's divine love for us. And because of this, um, we hold his truth in the highest regard. So let us settle our hearts and consider what God has to say to us this morning. So Luke chapter 9, 18 to 22. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can come together this morning. Thank you that you're with us, that we can praise your name, that we can glorify you. Father, I just pray for Andrew as he comes to speak, um, that you will speak through him, um, and that we will be reminded of your goodness to us. Help us to take um, what he has to say into our hearts. Help us to settle our hearts, to focus our minds, um, and to come to you um, willing and humbly um, to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Hannah, for that. Um, if you're new or visiting with us, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, uh, four Gospels in the Bible, and each one of them tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, and we're working our way through Luke's Gospel, and uh, that's kind of what we do. We just take books of the Bible and work our way through. Um, and this week, as uh, I read this passage, I also happened to watch about 10 minutes of an episode of uh, the Quiz Show, The 1% Club. Anyone seen this? No, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't even know why I watched it. But basically what it is, you have 100 people in the, who are contestants, and uh, the questions get harder and harder and harder as it goes along until you're down to, you know, it whittles down to the last one person, and they are in the 1% Club. And the, the final question is the 1% question, and it's the hardest question of all. Um, and that's kind of what is happening in this passage this morning. Uh, you, Jesus gives the disciples the 1% question. Uh, this week I read an article that came out um, that was written by one of my seminary professors last month. And, and he, he said this. He said, it's been said that the main issue in the first millennium was who is Jesus Christ? In the second millennium, the question became how are we saved? And now we're into the third millennium, the question is, and will continue to be, what is a human being? Now, I'm not about to degree with, uh, disagree with him. His name's uh, Dr. Strange, which is a cool name, because it's a superhero, um, but that's actually his real name. And I'm definitely not smart enough to take on Dr. Strange, but, uh, and actually I do agree with him, because we see artificial intelligence uh, rapidly just becoming a feature of everyday life. It's, it's just everywhere. People use it every day. I think he is right, but I think within that larger question of what is a human being, that when we distill it down to ourselves, the question 
that most people are asking probably subconsciously on an everyday basis is, who am I? Who am I? It seems that everybody is just searching for identity. Everyone is trying to figure out who they are, right? Um, people are encouraged to pursue their desires, their, their, their goals, their, their, their comfort, their safety, their success, even at the expense of any responsibilities they might have in their lives or consideration towards others. You can choose everything about your identity. You can choose your own path in life. You can choose your own career. You can choose your own friendship group. You can now even choose whether or not you want to be male or female or something else. But when we look at this movement of who am I and looking for identity, what is underneath it? If we examine that, what really is it? What's going on? Well, I think it's pretty clear that underneath it all is a desire for satisfaction, acceptance, and salvation, and belonging. People want to belong. People want to fit in. People just want to be accepted for who they are. They want to feel satisfied. They don't want to feel like they have to strive anymore. And they want salvation, whether or not they would use that word or not. People don't want to carry around the guilt and the shame of of everything they've done in their lives. And in the search of those things, there is actually a way more important question to ask, and it's far more able to provide an answer than, than asking, who am I, right? The, the answer, the, the question that can actually answer that question, answer those longings, is the question posed in our passage today, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Searching, belonging, satisfaction, acceptance, all these things Trying to answer those things or find those things by asking, who am I? is a bit like going to the bottom of the sea to try and find stars. You're just going to the wrong place entirely. Life's greatest goal should be Jesus' discovery, not self-discovery. It's far better to ask, who is Jesus, than it is to ask, who am I? And that's what Jesus is asking of the disciples today. The 12 disciples at this point have been on their apprenticeship with Jesus. We saw that. They've, they've had their practical exam, if you like, and they've gone out and Jesus said, go and do what I've been doing. And they do that and they come back. And now it's time for this written exam or this oral exam. And there's really only one question in this exam. Who is Jesus? Jesus is saying, tell me who you say I am. Well, who do you think I am? And we see in this text that the crowds have various different answers and opinions, and, and, and even though they're speculations about who Jesus is, they're not bad, they're not negative per se, but they fall short of, of truly understanding who he really is in all his majesty and glory and all his purpose. And then Peter gives the correct answer, we see, but it still needs additional teaching from Jesus to clarify what is going on. Now, the context of this conversation is that, and, and I wanted to stop here for a second, is that Jesus has taken himself off to pray. Verse 18 tells us, Now it happened that as he was praying alone. And that stood out to me because this is actually a feature of Jesus' life, isn't it? And we see this at all the key moments through Luke's gospel and the other gospels in, in Jesus' life and ministry. We see him praying at his baptism. We see Jesus praying when he calls the 12 disciples to follow him. We see Jesus pray when he broke the bread last week to, to, to serve and feed the 5,000. And here we see that he is praying at this confession of who he is. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see that he is praying at his transfiguration in chapter 9, verse 28. Um, and we're going to see later on that he, he, he prays the night before his death and he prays during his crucifixion. 
Prayer is this constant throughout Jesus' life. He didn't go about his ministry or even go to the cross without prayer. He was consistent in communion and dependence on the Father. The life of following Jesus, what we do, isn't an easy life, right? We know that. It's a pretty straightforward life, but it's not an easy life. It requires sacrifice and even suffering that what we're going to see next Sunday. But the good news is that as we follow Jesus' example, we can live this life in dependence on the Father. He's not just saying, go and live this way and you're on your own. He's saying, no, 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 live this way, but you're going to be constantly relying on me, right? Uh, one of our core values uh, in our church is, is the value of prayer and dependency. We put those two things together. We're going to have it on the screen there, please, Dan. Prayer and dependency. And this is what we said. We said, being created by God in his image, that's us, and restored to the Father through Jesus, that's Christians, we are committed to being, a, the, being the people God calls us to be by depending on Jesus. We want prayer to be both a regular community discipline and an impromptu response to needs and opportunities. We recognize our natural instinct is to be self-sufficient. That's just the human condition, isn't it? And therefore commit to a life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a nice wee phrase we put together because Christians are supposed to pray. We, we actually believe that the life that, of mission that Christ calls us to can't be done in our own strength. We were created to need dependency on God. And, and, and we flourish most when we are completely and willingly dependent on Him. That's actually when we find satisfaction. That's when we find joy. That's when we find fulfillment. That's actually when we find, oh, we can achieve things. Sometimes I think, you know, um, it, it comes up so often in the life of Jesus that, that if Jesus needed to pray, what makes us think that we can do without it? <laughs> you know, why would we think, oh, I can, I can probably get by without praying if we see that even Jesus lived this life of dependency on the Father? We need to live lives of, of prayer and dependency. This is why we meet together in here every Sunday at 10 o'clock uh, before our gathering to pray for 15 minutes. Why not come and join us to do that together? Uh, it's why we meet every other Sunday evening here uh, to specifically to pray. It's why we pray together in our missional communities when we meet together. It's why, um, you know, this, this week I've had a few opportunities to just impr impromptu, even on the street, just pray with people. In prayer, we're following the example of the Lord Jesus. It's where we get the strength to follow him. It's where we get the grace to follow him. Our lives need to be lives completely dependent on him. It's kind of a bit like if we're not, it's probably an analogy, the example has been used to death, but trying to live without prayer for Christians is like trying to drive your car without putting fuel in it, or without charging the battery now, I should say. We need to be dependent on God in prayer. That's part of our example, uh, part of the example that Jesus gives us. So up until this point, that's what's happening. Jesus has been praying. And up to this point, the disciples have been following Jesus and, and they've been with him throughout his ministry. And everything that Jesus has been doing up to this point has been, has been demonstrating who he really is and what he's really up to. But, but Jesus hasn't really pushed the disciples yet to definitively say who they think he is. 
Now, we know that in the previous eight chapters that they have often marveled at what he's done. They're thinking, wow, you know, they've even asked this question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They wonder who he is. But Jesus hasn't yet said, okay, give me an answer, guys. But this is about to to, to change. In this text, we see that we get this question, who is Jesus? And the first thing we see in our passage is that the first answer we get is human speculation. This is what people think. Human speculation. And we see this in verses 18 to 19. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now, it's important to notice that that Jesus hasn't declared himself to be the Messiah at this point. And the only people that have recognized or openly declared or witnessed the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, are God himself, the Father, at his baptism, and demons. That's the the only people who have testified to who Jesus really is. He also, Jesus had, had kind of claimed uh, that, the, 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 that there are signs that the messianic age has been fulfilled. And even the words he uses too kind of have been demonstrating and showing that the fact that the Messiah has come. But he hasn't taken any measures yet to say, I am he, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. You see, I think Jesus knows that, that Jesus understands that, that knowing who he really is is a matter of faith, isn't it? And we're going to see that later on. You can know everything about Jesus, but still not know him. It's a matter of faith. And so Jesus wants to to draw this confession out of his disciples rather than saying, here's the answer, guys. Say these words. He wants them to, 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 by faith, trust who he is. The time is coming when the disciples will carry on his ministry after Jesus has died and resurrected again and and gone back to the Father. And the disciples are going to be the ones who are going to carry on this ministry. And it's important that they have faith in their hearts, that they know who Jesus is, that it's instinctive to them. So first of all, he says, well, guys, what's the word on the street? What are people, you know, what are people saying about me? And the disciples have heard what people are saying. And it seems that there's a few theories going about the place. Uh, even Herod, a few verses earlier, but you know, we saw that he, you know, he says the same thing, that the people have told Herod the same things. Some people are saying that he's John the Baptist resurrected. John the Baptist had had his head cut off a wee while ago, and they're saying he's back. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, John the Baptist is, it, it was the forerunner of Jesus. He's, he's counted as the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the one who came just before Jesus to announce that the Lamb of God was coming and that people needed to repent. And just like John the Baptist, Jesus was a preacher of repentance. Like John the Baptist, the core of Jesus' message was the kingdom of God has come and so repentance is needed. So you can see why the people might have said, oh, he's saying the same things that John was saying, so maybe it's John come back to life again. Others were saying, oh, it's Elijah. Elijah's come back again. Now, Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He's one of the heroes of the uh, Israelite people. Um, He's, you know, he's he's up there. And he was the one who came and proclaimed the coming of God's new order in the world. And not only that, he worked miracles, right? He he performed, uh, even performed a miracle of providing food that didn't run out. And there was leftovers like we saw last week uh, that Jesus did with the 5,000. 
And so when Jesus shows up, healing people and doing miracles, some people are drawn to the conclusion, oh, well, he's doing what Elijah did, so obviously, you know, 700 years later, Elijah's back. Then others are, in the culture, are just saying that Jesus, he's just one of the prophets. We can't really put our finger on it, but, you know, he's kind of prophet-like. He's just one of those guys. They're not specific. They just think he's doing prophet-like things, and therefore, he just must be another prophet. And one thing to notice is that in, in all these things, they're all positive views, right? They're all good things. John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets, all held in very high regard. They're positive, but they're incomplete. Is Jesus a preacher of repentance like John? Yes. Is he a prophet like Elijah? Yes. Is he a miracle worker? Yes. But he's so much more than these things. The picture they have of Jesus is not a bad one, but it isn't complete. It's out of focus. It's blurry. The details are missing. They've got some things right in the sense that he is a holy man doing incredible things, but they don't have the full story. So like imagine if I ask you, who is Elon Musk, right? And you say, oh, he's a man who was born in South Africa. Well, technically, I mean, that's right. He was. But that's far from the full story of who Elon Musk is. There's a lots of other good and bad things you could say about Elon Musk. He, he's, he's the founder of PayPal. He's the founder of SpaceX and Tesla. He owns Twitter. He's one of the richest people in the world. In order to understand who Elon Musk is, you have to get the full picture. And it's interesting that throughout history, culture has had all kinds of things to say about Jesus trying to make Jesus all kinds of things. He's been called a socialist. He's been called a feminist. He's been called a nationalist. He's been called a, a moral example. He's been called a, a good man, an ethical teacher. And what culture has done and, and still tends to do is to take a few sayings of Jesus and they take those in isolation and out of context and then blow that up into, out of proportion to be everything that Jesus is. And usually they do it to fit their own worldview. I have a friend, and he, a guy I used to live with, and he calls himself a Christian atheist. Go figure. So he doesn't believe in God or the divinity of Christ, but he claims that he loves the teachings of Jesus, and he tries to live by them. And I always used to say to him, well, that's well and good, but what about the command that no one can enter the kingdom unless they eat my flesh and drink my blood? <laughs> that tends to be a stumbling block for people. And the point is that unless we take Jesus for all of what the fullness of the Bible says about him, you end up with an incomplete and, and, and incorrect picture of who Jesus is. Some people have said he was a charismatic faith healer. Others have said he was a wandering philosopher. Others, again, have called him a wise man and compared him to Socrates and, and Buddha. In Islam, Jesus is a prophet inferior to the prophet Muhammad. Gorbachev, the former leader of the Soviet Union, said he was the first socialist. Depictions of Jesus have been in The Simpsons, in South Park, in loads of movies and books, and, and usually in those things, he's just like a harmless, goofy, kind of magical figure, you know, maybe even just a nice person who can do some tricks. The Jesus mythicism movement has even tried to say that Jesus didn't actually exist, that he's a made-up figure. That the, that the Christians have made him up to, 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 to start the thing called the church. 
even historical sources outside the Bible have proved this wrong. Uh, historian Tom Holland says that there are no credible historians in the world today who would deny the existence of the historical Jesus Christ. Now, as I was thinking about all these things and thinking about how absurd to us it might seem that they think John the Baptist beheaded has come back to life and Elijah has come back and, and, and how people have thought he's you know, the first socialist and all these things, I think it's funny that people will believe almost anything about Jesus except that he's the son of God, except that he is who the Bible says he is. Isn't that interesting? People will go to extraordinary lengths to not just simply believe the truth, that Jesus really is the Messiah, the son of God. And as we uh, interact with people in the world and as we live our lives on mission to speak about Jesus, we will find this. People will have their own thoughts and theories about the identity of Jesus. If we went out onto the Ormond Road now and, and asked people, everybody would have their own answer to the question, who is Jesus? But here's my point. Jesus is not honored or glorified by any of culture's answers to this question. Saying that Jesus is a prophet or a teacher or a healer uh, would be like a, a guy talking about his wife and, and saying, she's a beautiful woman, Right? Uh, she is a kind and smart and brave woman, but she's just one of many beautiful women. She's just one of many smart and brave women. In fact, she's one in a long line of beautiful and smart women. That's my wife, one in a long line. You see how that is dishonoring to who Jesus is? When Jesus is reduced to being a, a prophet or a healer or a teacher, he is not being given the glory that is due him. Legan Duncan, who's an American uh, theologian, he says, to say that Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet or, or the one who has taught us to love or who fought for righteousness and justice and morality in society is not to do him justice. They're meant to be compliments, you understand, but they don't live up to who he is. Jesus is in a league of his own. There's no one like him. He's not just an important figure in the religion hall of fame. What honors Jesus is to worship him as Lord of all. Made me think about how even in us and our church and how we love Jesus, how, how we can sometimes relegate Jesus to a lesser category, can't we? We can. Let's be careful in how we think and talk about him so that we don't reduce him to a prophet or a teacher or a moral example. Or even worse, let's be careful that in our thoughts and on our speech and in our actions, we don't dishonor him by reducing him to this, the punchline of a joke. Let's make sure that in our thoughts and speech, speech and actions that we honor Jesus for who he is. In this regard, I'd rather err on the side of caution. I'd rather, I'd rather not speak his name if I'm unsure if it's going to be dishonorable. He is the Son of God. He is the God's anointed Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is not one person who has ever lived or ever will live who does not owe Jesus their worship and devotion. Let's make sure that in this church family we, we honor him. We're careful about how we talk about him. We handle with care because we know who he is, right? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Next in our passage, we see divine revelation. We get this divine revelation, who Jesus is. We see this in verse 20. 
Verse 20 says, uh, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now Jesus turns the questions uh, towards his disciples. <laughs> He's like, Okay, well, that's fine. That's a good answer, guys. But that's interesting to know where the people are at. But forget about them. Who do you say that I am? I know all the rumors going around about me, but forget about them for a second. Who, who are you saying that I am? Who, who am I to you? He personalizes the question and he turns it in on themselves. Now, this, this is the same question that Jesus asks of every single one of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? You can ask yourself that question right now. Who do I really, I've been asking myself this all week. Who, who do I say Jesus is? It doesn't matter right now what other people say. It matters what you say. Because you can't rely on the testimony of others. You can't be saved through somebody else's faith. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? It's totally possible to be part of our church family and miss who Jesus really is. And there is no greater tragedy than to underestimate Jesus. See, we try to minimize Jesus, don't we? We try to make him fit our agenda. We want him to be the kind of Messiah that we think the Messiah should be. We want him to just be in our lives to solve our problems, to be a comfort to us in the time of need, to maybe be like a good luck charm. You know the good luck charm? Jesus, that's been a feature of my life. I'm going into a job interview or I'm going into something and I, I pull him out and I pray, oh, Lord, help me in this thing. Done. Or, or maybe he's the, you know, the emergency press it, break glass in case of emergency thing. We pull them out, oh, goodness, Lord, this is, this is the worst situation I've ever been in. Please help me. But Jesus is, is none of those things. Is he with us in times of difficulty? Yes. Does he provide everything we need? Yes. Is he to be relied on when we need help? Yes. But he is more than these things. He doesn't fit our agenda. He has his own agenda. And he calls us into it and asks us to submit to him. And one day, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, how we answered this question will make all the difference. You see? So who do you say Jesus is? Jesus asked this question to his disciples. And, and, and Peter, I, I love Peter. He, I, I, he's a, bit, he's a two, you know, both feet first kind of guy, a bit like me. You know, speak first, ask questions later kind of guy. But every now and again... He's absolutely on the money, which is, uh, there's hope for me, right? If you, if you say enough stuff, you're going to be right sometimes. <laughs> um, Jesus, uh, Peter says, in response to this question, you are the Christ of God. What an answer. 10 out of 10, gold star, Peter. Up to this point, it's only God and the demons that have recognized Jesus as Messiah and no human being has. This means that Peter is the first person to confess with his mouth, to recognize who Jesus really is. Isn't that so cool? I'd never thought about that before until this week. Peter is the first person who says, that's who Jesus is. That gives me so much hope. Even though he doesn't fully grasp all that the Messiah is or all the Christ is, he, he, he says, you are the Christ. You're the promised one of God. Now, Christ isn't Jesus' surname, okay? It's his title. It's who he is. He is the Christ. 
He is the one that has been promised in the Old Testament. The one who has been promised that would come and crush the serpent's head. He is the one that would come and deliver the people of Israel. The one who restore God's people. The one who brings salvation and reconciliation to God. Christ just means anointed one, chosen one. And Peter says, Jesus, you are that person. You are the Christ. He's the first one to say it. And, and, and Christians ever since, followers of Jesus ever since, have been saying it. And so if you want an answer for when people ask you this question, well, who is Jesus? That's a really good place to start. Jesus is the Christ of God. He's the Savior of the nations. He's the fulfillment of prophecies come to bring us back to God and renew His creation. He's the one who has come to establish His kingdom of peace and justice forever. He is the one who will destroy evil forever when he comes in judgment and power. He is the king of all kings. He is the king above all kings. He is the the king that all kings before him have been pointing to. He is the name above all names. He is the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what Peter was the first one to confess. And that gives me so much hope. Let's have Peter's picture of Jesus. Let that be our answer. But then we know Peter, don't we? And we know ourselves. And so we ask, well, how did Peter get it right? How did Peter figure this out? You see, in many ways, Peter had seen what the crowds had seen. They had seen pretty much the same thing as Peter and the disciples. They saw Jesus perform miracles just like Peter did. They heard Jesus preach and so did Peter. They saw Jesus lift the bread up to heaven and give thanks and break it and so did Peter. So what made the difference? Well, we have to actually go to Matthew's account of this conversation to get the answer. So in Matthew 16, um, verses 16 to 17, we see this. Simon Peter, yep, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're absolutely correct, but just so you know, you didn't come up with this on your own. The Father has revealed this to you. Peter, you've got your information from a different source altogether. Peter's answer to the question didn't come from, his rumor, from the rumors. His view of Jesus is not based on what the culture was saying about Jesus, you see? God revealed this to Peter. This was something God had not revealed to the crowds. And if God had not revealed this truth to Peter... He would have had the same answer as everybody else. Jesus, you must be one of the prophets of old. You must be Elijah. You must be John the Baptist. This was not his answer because God had revealed it to him. Listen, it's so important that we get this answer, our answer to this question from God, that God reveals it to us. If we're to answer that same question, Jesus asked Peter, we we must have God reveal it to us. This is why we, we search the Bible. And if we're not looking for Jesus in the Bible, God's revealed word, then we're going to have the wrong answer to the question. Our view on Jesus will be inaccurate, incomplete, or incorrect. If we're not seeing seeing who Jesus is uh, through what he has shown us in his word, then we won't know Jesus. Listen, we're never going to find the answer to who Jesus is by looking to culture, what the people say. Because as we've seen, they've been getting it incomplete and wrong, even though, when they, even though they may look on Jesus favor, favorably, you see? If we're not looking for Jesus in his word, our view of Jesus diminishes. 
He becomes like these lesser things that we've talked about. He goes down in our estimations. He becomes less than he really is. This is why in every sermon we look for Jesus no matter where in the Bible we're preaching from. This is why every day when I open my Bible, I pray, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Even if I'm in Leviticus, it's actually very easy to see Jesus in Leviticus. Maybe we'll do a series in Leviticus and I'll show you all that. And the amazing thing is, that's a prayer that God answers. God delights to reveal Jesus to us. God uses His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us to highlight Jesus in every page of this book. And you know what this also means? If God is the one who reveals the answer to this question, this means that we need to pray for our non-believing friends that God would reveal to them who Jesus really is. We need to pray that God would open their eyes, that they would see the Jesus of the Bible, that, that they would realize that Jesus is the Christ of God, just as he opened our eyes. We're like Peter. Jesus is saying, it's great, you guys know who I am, but you only know who I am because I've revealed that to you. And they need the same, and so we can pray that they would have the revelation we've had. And we need to keep pointing to who Jesus is. People want to ask us all kinds of things about our Christian faith. That's what I've noticed. People come with, all, I mean, some surprising questions. Now, what do you think about, like, creation and dinosaurs and stuff? And I'm like, hey, did you know, like, Jesus was real and he rose from the dead? Who cares about dinosaurs? Or, or the questions of why, are there, why is there evil in the world? Or questions about sexuality or, or, or whatever it may be. But, but we need to keep the most important thing the most important thing. The most important thing is they recognize Jesus is the Christ. Becoming a Christian isn't about uh, becoming a more moral person, right? It's not about deciding to, to change your behavior. It's about seeing and believing who Jesus is. And then, of course, your behavior changes after that. We're not calling people to try and be good people. That's one of the biggest mistakes that, that still is a hangover in this country. Of we we got to be good living. It's still there. we got to be morally good. But we're not trying to call people to be good people. We're inviting them to see Jesus. Isn't that right? We're just, we're just, just ask this question to yourself. Who do you say Jesus is? Same as us. We recognize and confess that Jesus is the Christ of God. And then we live every day, hopefully, <laughs> in ways that honor him. So we've seen human speculation. What do people think? We've seen this divine revelation that the God has revealed to the disciples and to Peter who Jesus really is. And finally then we see the plan of salvation, what Jesus came to do. And we see this in verses 21 and 22. And Jesus, and he, that's Jesus, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now this is a bit surprising, right? Isn't it? You know whenever you go to like a, you know whenever you go to like a food market or you go to like, a, a, you know, a new restaurant or something and, and they're really keen to spread the word. They're like, How, you know, you're like, this food is amazing, right? And they're like, here's a card or like follow us on Instagram or share this, tag us, whatever. Take a, make sure you tag us. You want to spread the word. But Jesus doesn't do this. See, finally, somebody has recognized who Jesus is, and you would think he would be like, hey, when you post this on Instagram, tag me in that, okay? But he doesn't do that. He says, 
don't tell everyone. In fact, he strongly commands them and warns them. He strictly charged, that's warns, and commanded them. So he warns them strongly and commands them, do not tell anyone under any circumstances right now. Do you hear what I'm saying, boys? Don't tell anyone what you now know. Now, for us, we live on the different, another side of the resurrection from them. And the coming of the Holy Spirit has, or the Holy Spirit has since come. But the disciples at this stage are still in a time when God's salvation plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus is still in motion. It's still unfolding. It's still happening. And the term Messiah was widely misunderstood. Messiah has really only ever meant one thing for us because we have all of the New Testament unpacking the Old Testament as to what it means. Uh, but, but Peter and the disciples here didn't have an understanding of what Messiah really meant. They didn't really understand what the purpose of the Messiah was. Most people in Israel at this point, uh, um, because they read the Scriptures, the Old Testament, in a time uh, of political oppression, they lived under an oppressive regime of the Roman Empire, uh, they thought that the Messiah, that they read the Scriptures in a way that showed them the Messiah is going to come and, and break their chains of oppression uh, and end that Roman government. They thought that he would be a, a mighty military and political figure. They thought that. And, and the full picture of God's Messiah through death and resurrection hadn't yet been re revealed. And so Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone, because if the wrong ideas about Messiah start getting put out here, it could start an uprising, right? And that movement would have been a movement led by people who don't even fully know who I am. So right now, we're going to wait. Don't tell anyone what you guys are beginning to figure out. It will all be revealed in good time. I know that you guys have your own ideas of what a Messiah is, so just so you know, Here's what God's Messiah looks like. And he begins to tell them. And I have to say that for them, for us not so much because we've heard this stuff before and we're familiar with it, but for them, to hear that the Messiah must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be raised is probably pretty shocking. You see, this picture of the Messiah that Jesus is painting, it really doesn't look like the kind of Messiah they wanted. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. And a Son of Man is a title that, that relates to his humiliation and his rejection. It's the, it's the most, it, it's saying the Messiah is a human being. And it relates to his humiliation. He says that he would suffer many things. It's, he says that he would be rejected by the elders and the scribes and the chief priests. Now, those are the leaders of Israel. They're the very ones that you would think the that would be accepted and cheered on and supported by the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, actually, they're the ones who are going to reject me the most. And then he says, the Messiah is going to be killed. And they're thinking, what kind of Messiah gets killed? Jesus, have you even read the Old Testament? What kind of Messiah gets killed? If, if he really is God's chosen one, how can he be killed? But listen, this is who the Messiah is. This is what he came to accomplish. Suffering, rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection. This is Jesus. And listen, if we don't have this Jesus, then we have the wrong Jesus, okay? If we don't have the Jesus who suffers, who is rejected, who is killed, and who is raised again, then we don't have the real Jesus.
are be a preacher. He didn't come to just perform a few miracles. He didn't come to tell us how to be good living. He came to be crucified in the place of sinners. He came to take on the punishment of our sin. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He came to suffer at the hands of men and to be killed by them. He came to die on a cross. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that people expected, but praise God, he was the Messiah that people needed. Notice that Jesus doesn't simply say that he's going to die. He says, read it with me again. In verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He says he must die. This means, you know, he's saying, he's saying, look, the, the eternal plan of God, the only way for salvation to be attained by God's people is through my death. Only through the cross can we enter into saving relationship with Jesus. There's no second choice and there's no plan B. these weren't uh, optional extras that took Jesus to the cross. His suffering at the hands of Pilate was not an accident. Jesus knew it was going to happen. He wanted it to happen because he loves us. And so he says, this must happen. And we don't know the ins and outs of the conversation that happened around here, but you can imagine they're saying, you know, are you really going to die? Come on, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You can't die. And, And he's saying, it must happen because I love you. It's the only way that we can be together forever. From the beginning of time, he had to go to the cross. If God's people are to be saved, then Jesus' death must happen. Jesus is telling the disciples that these things are not just his ideas. that He's kind of figured out over the last 33 years of his life. that They're actually decreed by God the Father from the beginning of time, and they would happen exactly as God had planned it. Suffering, rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection is what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. So if you, if you want an answer to the question, who is Jesus? Then it's this. Jesus is the Christ of God. The one who was chosen to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be resurrected. To be the Christ of God meant that he was rejected by the world. It meant that he suffered many things. It meant that he would die a horrible and cruel death on a Roman cross taken through his death, becoming the sacrifice that we needed to make atonement for us. And then on the third day, be raised from the dead, thereby declaring himself to be the Lord of all and simultaneously defeating death on our behalf and opening up the way for us to be alive with him forever. And we all have access to this when we believe and answer this question. That Jesus is the Christ of God. This is our Jesus. Suffering, rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection. Oh man, this should fill us with so much joy and so much hope. We are poor and needy. We come to him poor and needy. And he says, don't worry, I am the Christ of God. And so, just as we come to pray now, I want us to take a few seconds to just silently just ponder this question. In your heart, we're, we're not going to come to the table right now. We're going to do that over lunch together. But, but as we respond to who Jesus is, hear him asking the question to you. Who do you say that I am? It's the only question that matters. 
let's take a few seconds and as the band come up and I'll, and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you've chosen to reveal your son to us. That we don't have to rely philosophers or whatever. Father, thank you that we get the right answer to who you are by what you've told us. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can simply just take you at your word. You are the Christ of God. Lord Jesus, we confess that. We confess that you are the Son of God, come to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be resurrected. Thank you, Lord, that you went through all those things. Thank you that you were rejected by men so that we don't have to be rejected by you. Thank you that you did suffer so that we do not have to suffer. Thank you that you died so that we might live. And thank you that you were raised to, from the dead on the third day so that we can be raised and live with you forever. Jesus, in light of all of that, would you help us, Lord, to not diminish you, not reduce you to less than that, but to hold you in the highest regard. Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit at work and present within us, would you empower us to live lives and speak words and think thoughts that honor you for who you are. And Lord, we pray that we would share this with everyone. Lord, after your resurrection, you no longer said, don't tell anyone. No, you say, tell everyone. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Father, when people ask us, who is this Jesus? That we would be ready and able to answer them. Holy declaring, like Peter did that day. You are the Christ. The God, the Christ of God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this word. Thank you for comforting us, encouraging us. We pray these things for your glory, in your name. Amen.